I want to do, I want to talk about God for the next few Sundays, talk about different characteristics, different attributes, um, different um, facets of his, his character. And, and no matter how much we talk about him or think about him, we, we don't even scratch the surface. I mean, let's just put it out there. He is so far above us. Um, but I, I just wanted to talk this morning about what I think is foundational about his character. Are you, right, are you ready for this uh, profound title? God is love. God is love. And that's foundational to who he is and what he's about. So um, 1 John 4, 16 through 21. That's where this, this title is coming from. And this is, 1 John is all about God's love. And he says this in 1 John 4, verse 16. So we know and believe the love God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So it sounds like you've got love and God and those who abide in God. Those three, those three things, us, God, love, those three things just abide in one another. In this is love perfected in us that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Perfect love cast out fear. Have you ever quoted that verse when you were afraid? Perfect love cast out fear. That's a good one. When you're, when you're facing something that's causing you some anxiety, trepidation, perfect love is going to cast that out. For fear has to do with punishment. He who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God should love his brother also. Doesn't get much simpler than that, doesn't it? And it's amazing, the, the more you grow in your Christian life and the more you understand about discipleship and the more you understand about God, you keep coming back home to this, this foundational premise about God, and it's three words, God is love. You hear some of the most uh, brilliant theologians ask to summarize their, their study and their work. They, they devote a lifetime to, and they'll say, God is love. That's it. It doesn't have to get more complicated than that. We make it more complicated, but it doesn't have to be. Let's bow together. Father, as we come today to think about you, to think about your love, to realize how, how powerful you are and how awesome you are, and the fact that in your, in your grace and mercy, you saw fit to create us because you desire fellowship with us and you love us so much that you sent your only begotten son to die for us on the cross. God, help us to not just love you, but to love our brother and sister. And in so doing, show how much we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our God is a God of many facets, many different characteristics. And, and like a diamond, I was thinking about this week, no matter which facet you try to look at God through, he just comes shining through all the more brilliantly. And, and like I said, we can never begin to approach all the characteristics of God. We can just 
do a little digging here and a little digging there and a little digging over here and, and try to understand a little more deeply, but he will still overwhelm us in every area. Our God is a God of love. And I don't know if you, if you appreciate that, that our God is love. I don't know any other religion that talks about their God like that. I've never heard a Muslim say Allah is, is love. I mean, God alone is love. There's no other religion that compares to what God is. And aren't you glad that our faith is, is, is in a God who loves and not who hates and kills and, and slaughters like so many religions are these days? It's one of, one of the many differences between our faith in God and Christianity and all the other religions of the world. Ours alone is a God of all-encompassing love, and there's no one else like him. 1 John, if you, if you read through, it's only about five chapters. It's short, it's to the point. And if you, if you look at 1 John, you immediately see just how simple the language is. It's hard to realize that the same author who wrote 1 John also wrote the Gospel of John. Because when you look at the Gospel of John, it is deep and symbolic and complex. But later on in life, he writes these three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then he writes Revelation. But it's just, it's, it's kind of hard to see the same author doing these two entirely different things. I think maybe younger in life, he's writing his gospel and he's talking about who Jesus is and, and what he did. But as I said, as he, as he grew older, he realized that it's not complicated. God is love. I remember, uh, and, and, and Bill will probably remember this too, when you take baby Greek in seminary, we, it's, it's the first semester of Greek. We call it baby Greek. The very first thing you translate is 1 John from the Greek. And I can still remember the night sitting in my dorm room getting goosebumps translating from the Greek, theos esten agape. God is love. Um, it's just the simplest thing to translate, and yet it is still the most profound thing it is. The best explanation for the love of God is in the New Testament because God is love. And notice it doesn't say God has love or God displays love or God has a characteristic of love. Those two things are equivalent. God and love. God, there's an equal sign between them. God is love. Love is God. Love is his nature. That's his nature. Now you say, well, wait a minute, there's judgment too. Yeah, but sometimes love requires judgment. But the overarching characteristics of God is love. So I want to talk about those characteristics this morning. They all begin with an S just to help you kind of keep it in your mind. It's an outline in your worship bulletin. Characteristics of God's love. The first thing I want you to see is how surprising it is. How surprising it is that God loves us. Of all the qualities God could have embodied, all the, the different attributes of his personality, how surprising it is that God is love. Totally undeserved on our part. Totally unexpected. He created us. He redeemed us. He wants fellowship with us. He gave us this beautiful world and gave us dominion over all of it. It's all surprising. His love has always been surprising. When he chose the Israelites in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 7, 7 says, it was not because you were more in number than any other people 
that the Lord has set his love upon you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all the people. God always chooses, at 1 Corinthians 1, one of my favorite chapters, God always chooses those whom you least expect. God always chooses a people whom you would be totally surprised to prove his glory, to prove how loving he is. We're nothing special. The Jews were nothing special. Like you remember Ogden Nash's little limerick, how odd of God to choose the Jews? I added my own sentence to that, and odder too to choose me and you. He, he, he calls us. He chooses everybody. He wants everybody to be in a relationship with him. He created us. Now, you and I, we might love somebody who loves us. We might like somebody who likes us. We might love our friends and hate our enemies. But God loved us while we were still his enemies. God loved us while we were still sinners, Romans 5, 8. He sent Jesus to die for us. How many people do you love who hurt you? How many people can you honestly say you love that have been mean to you? That's what God did for us. And that's why it is so surprising. While we were still sinners, God did the most loving thing he could do and sending his son Jesus to live among us and die on the cross for us. So God's love is surprising, totally unexpected, totally undeserved. It's surprising. Secondly, I want you to know about God's love is that it is seeking. God's love is out seeking us. You know, a lot of folks say, well, you know, I, I've lived my life and then I found God. No, God found you. God has been seeking you your whole life. And I don't care where you're from. I don't care what your past is. I don't, you're watching by television this morning. God loves you and he is seeking you. He is following you. He is pursuing you with his whole being. He seeks us to draw us back unto him. A lot of people, the, the favorite parable of a lot of people is the parable of the prodigal son. And you know that parable well where the son asks for his inheritance and he goes off and squanders it in riotous living and ends up eating the pods that the pigs would not eat and then coming to himself and realizing that even my father's servants have food to eat and here I am starving. And so he makes his way back home and on the horizon his father sees him and runs to him and, and puts a robe around him and a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and welcomes him back home. You know that parable, it's, in, it's at the end of Luke chapter 15. So the favorite parable of a lot of folks, and it, it has a lot of good meaning and a lot of symbolism, a lot of, a lot of the attributes of God contained therein. But one thing that it doesn't have, that the first two parables in Luke 15 has, that it, it has the, the parable of the lost sheep. Do you remember the, the shepherd who has 100 sheep and one of them goes missing? What does he do? He goes and finds him and brings him home. Then the second parable in Luke 15 is the parable of the lost coin. And uh, the woman has 10 coins, and what does she do? She loses one. What does she do? She turns her house upside down until she finds it. And there is rejoicing. And both those parables conclude with the phrase, and, and uh, there's rejoicing in heaven over one that was lost and is found. 
I think those two parables, rather than the parable of the prodigal son, actually tell us more about the seeking God. God doesn't just stand at home and wait for us to come home to him. He is pursuing us like the shepherd. He is searching for us like the woman with the lost coin. He is out there after us, seeking for us. His love is not passive. It is active. He comes looking for us. He doesn't wait for us to come to him. He is pursuing us. Now, is he, is he just pursuing certain people? No. He pursues everybody. He loves everybody. And if you aren't being held in his arms right now like the lost sheep, I want you to know that he's looking for you. He's searching for you. He is pursuing you actively, not waiting, not sitting at home on the front porch in his rocking chair with his arms, arms folded, hoping that you will come home to him. He's after you, and he doesn't give up. He is surprising and that he loves us. He is seeking, he's searching, he's actively pursuing us. The third thing is it's selfless. You know, we have hurt him, we have rebelled against him, we have ignored him, but he is willing to forgive everything. It's not about him, it's not about hurting his feelings. He is selfless in his love for us. There was an old Charlie Brown cartoon where one day Lucy uh, takes a piece of paper and she, it, ha it has on it, I absolve you of all blame. And she has Linus to sign it. And she has Schroeder to sign it. And she has Peppermint Patty to sign it. And she gives it to Charlie Brown. And Charlie Brown says, Lucy, what does this note mean? And Lucy says, whatever I do from this point forward, it says, this note says that I absolve you from all blame. And the last scene has Charlie Brown rubbing his chin and saying, you know what, this would be a nice document to have. And the good news is that God has given us that document. I absolve you from all blame. Isaiah 1.8 says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And it doesn't say, it doesn't have any small print. It doesn't have any clauses that say, unless you do this or unless you've, you know, if you've done this or that. Everything, everything, that's, that's amazing, that's powerful. Everything has been forgiven. And your sins are white as snow in God's sight. Though they be red like crimson, they'll be as wool. It's selfless because God places his attention and focus on us who deserve it the least. It's selfless. It's also a saving love that God has for us. It saves us. It doesn't matter what your past is. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, but God who was rich in mercy out of the great love with which he loved us made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him. Can I read that again? God who was rich in mercy toward us out of his great love which he, with which he has loved us, out of his great love with which he has loved us, made us alive together with Christ and has raised us up with him. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. 
So what that says is that God takes us people who were dead in our sins and forgives us and saves us out of his great love for us and raises us up with Jesus, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him. Have you seen lives that have been changed by God? Have you seen lives that have made a 180 degree turn because of what God has done for them? I could give you so many examples. Um, there was a, a man in uh, England about a little over 100 years ago named Charles Studd, S-T-U-D-D. He was a successful businessman. He was influential and powerful in London. And uh, he lost a bet one night. Uh, and and to, in order to pay his debt in the bet, he had to go hear this evangelist who was preaching named Dwight L. Moody. Dwight L. Moody was this American evangelist from Chicago, uh, the Moody Bible Institute. He, he did revivals all across America, went over to England, and thousands came to faith in Jesus Christ. He was the Billy Graham of the previous century. And Charles Studd went to hear him one night, and after hearing Dwight L. Moody, he said, that fellow has just told me everything I have ever done. And he went back the next night and the next night and the next night, and gave his life to Jesus. And when Charles Studd gave his life to Jesus, he gave it all. He gave it all. Um, and and um, he only lived two more years after that. But it was said of him that he did more in his two years for Christ than most people do in 80. He turned his house into a place of Bible study. He called on every acquaintance he had and told them about Jesus. He wrote notes to folks about Jesus. And, and uh, it didn't matter if people came back and rebuked him. It just made him smile because he knew, that he knew the truth of what he was writing. And uh, towards the end of his life, which was just a short life after he gave his life to Jesus, someone asked his limousine driver, what's the difference that you have seen in Mr. Studd? And the driver said, all I can say is it may be the same skin on the outside, but there's a new man on the inside. It may be the same skin on the outside, but there's a new man on the inside because of the saving love that God has for us. It is saving. Finally, it is sustaining. It is surprising and seeking and selfless and saving. And finally, it is sustaining which means it's not here today and gone tomorrow. You don't have to worry. You don't have to wake up in the morning and worry if God still loves you. <laughs> he loves you as much today as he did the day you were born. No, the day you were created. And he'll love you forever. Not just until you die. He will love you in eternity if you're with him. It does not come and go. Deuteronomy 7, 9, know therefore that the Lord your God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. And the words there in the Hebrew and in the Greek talk about this, this covenant love that God has for us. When you're in a relationship with God, he has a covenant with you. And it's, 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 in, in the Hebrew terms, it was like a legal document. It is unbreakable. It is a code. It is a covenant 
that God has with us if we keep him, keep his commandments and love him. C.H. Spurgeon was talking to a farmer one day and he noticed up on top of the barn, the farmer had a weather vane. I dreamed about this this morning. And um, on the weather vane, it had these words, God is love. And Spurgeon was talking to the farmer. He said, why do you have on a weather vane the words God is love? Are you saying that God's love is changeable and that it it veers back and forth with the blowing wind? And the farmer said, of course not. I'm just saying that no matter which way the wind is blowing, God is still love. No matter which way the wind is blowing, God is still love. Now for the clincher. I want to tell you what we're supposed to do because God is love and God loves us. What do you think you're supposed to do? Do you think, you know, you would assume that we're supposed to love God, that we're supposed to thank Him, that we're supposed to uh, reciprocate and return the love that He has for us. That's not what it says here. This is amazing to me. We love because He first loved us, but it, it, now it tells us who. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God should love his brother also. So what are you supposed to do because God loves you? You want to know how you respond? You love your brother. You love your sister. You love those around you. Don't say you love God whom you have not seen if you don't love your brother who's sitting right next to you or in front of you or behind you or lives across the street from you. Because if God has loved you, how do you show that? How do you reveal that? How do you respond to that? You love your brother. Is that surprising to you? I, that's not what I expected. I expected God to say, because I've loved you, love me back. But he says, because I have loved you, love your brother. And don't say you've loved me if you can't love your brother because you're a liar. That's what it says. Love one another. And here's the measure and the motive. The measure is love as God has loved you. And the motive is love because God has loved you. That's how much, and that's the reason. Love as much as God has loved you. Love because God has loved you. So, I can, I can ask you this morning, is God's love in you? Don't answer. Because I can tell by how you love one another. It's that simple. God is love, and his love is surprising and seeking and selfless and saving and sustaining. And you respond. God doesn't ask you to love him back. I think you will, but what he expects of you is that you love your brother. So don't say you love your brother, or don't say you love God if you can't love your brother. Let's bow. God, I could probably talk about love 
every Sunday between now and Valentine's. <laughs> and even after that. And still not broach the subject, the depth of who you are and the greatness and wideness and depth and height of your love for us. God, we love you. But it's easy to say we love someone whom we can't see. We love someone in the abstract. And so the real measure of our love for you is how well we relate to those around us. And if there's a relationship that is strained, if there's someone that we've stopped talking to, if there's a, a pain in the past that still affects us today, Help us love you enough to find forgiveness and grace and love those whom we can see right now. We thank you for the kind of undeserved, unmerited love that you have afforded us. Help us love each other. And in so doing, show how much, how deeply we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.